We give God the praise in certainly these last days. All right, let's go right into the message. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is a portion of the scriptures that we've covered many times over the years, including maybe just a few months ago. But because of the relevance to the topic that we're dealing with, what's next? Remember, again, I remind you, that's not a question mark. It's what's next with a period. This is what the Bible is telling us is unfolding. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read at the first verse that it states, perilous times shall come. And I have always amended that to make it relevant that perilous times have come. We're in them right now. So let's read it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. By the way, just in case I don't get back to this, and I probably won't, this is a message that's speaking about inside the church. We know that because this expression would not be used, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, because the power that is given to you when you're born again is not there when you're not. Anyway, that's just a parenthetical statement. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janes and Jambres withstood Moses, this is also a clue as to what we're talking about here. Events, characteristics that are inside the church and professing Christians. As Janes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. And there's another clue as well. If you didn't read the context of chapter 2, and then we'll read some in chapter 4. We know that this is confined to inside the church in the last days. Reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Perilous times have come. Prepare to meet your God. Now, Some years ago, when the Grand Trunk Railroad was in uh, operation, now it's uh, Canadian National, up in Canada and down here to a little part of the northeastern United States, they ran a little contest because they had a terrible accident, as happens from time to time, train running over somebody, what have you. And they ran a little contest offering $2,500, which at the time, this is the 19th century, at the time, was a good deal of money if someone could come up with a slogan that would be apropos and give people the right mindset when they're crossing railroad tracks. And someone came up with the slogan that eventually, evidently, they adopted that went this way. Stop. Look. Listen. In my mind, this is a great slogan for the time in which we live. Stop. Stop what you're doing. Look. And listen, all three, except that we apply it not to railroad crossings, which we have right over here, not too far from here, 
Apply it to spiritual things. It's time to not only slow down, just to stop. And take some time to contemplate and meditate of the times in which you live. And then to listen. And the way that you listen to the voice of the Lord as you read the Bible. I'll talk a little bit more about this. It's right in the text a little later on about the voices and voices and voices. And people hearing God said this and that. God does speak. Primarily he speaks through the Bible and the study of the Bible. And then to look. We were taught as young kids to look both ways before we crossed the street. I stepped out in front of a car. It was a good thing the car saw me years ago when I was delivering mail. I was preoccupied with what I was doing. I was concentrating on my work. Stepped right out in front of that car until I heard the blare of the horn. And if it wasn't for their alertness, I would have been very, very hurt, if not dead. Stop, listen, and look. Stop, look, and listen. Stop, listen, and look. Doesn't matter. Just as long as you stop. You know, that's what Sabbath means. It means to stop, to cease. That's why God put it there, not just only for the physical rest, which many people seem to think that, well, I could just go play a game of golf, and that relaxes me. That's not what God intended. Not that you can't play golf. I'm just saying that God intended for us to stop, yeah, for rest, but also to be reminded, to come together, the assembling of ourselves one to another in Hebrews 10.25, that we would come together and be reminded of these things. It's a creation principle, by the way, with the exception that since Jesus rose on the first day of the week, we come on Sunday now and not Saturday for a Sabbath. Stop, look, and listen. And in my mind, if there was ever an appropriate application for a slogan to any generation, it's this one right now. Stop and start to think and start to seek the Lord with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength, everything else. Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will follow you. The problem is, and I thought this to myself just the other day in a discussion that I had with somebody on a certain situation in a case involves a person. I said, well, the only thing we could do now is pray. We've exhausted every other method. But then it came to me, prayer is the first thing, not the last thing. It's the first thing. And you can't do that until you stop, until you look and listen, or listen and look, doesn't matter. As long as you stop and look at the word of God and listen for his voice that's coming out of this book, giving us all the instructions that we need to make it from here to there, that's it. Perilous times certainly have come. In the book of Amos, chapter 4, verse 12, the prophet Amos, who lived in the 8th century before the birth of Christ, around 745 B.C., Speaking for God, he said, Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God. Listen to the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon in 1870 in a message that he preached from this text of Amos 4.12. And it's called, Prepare to Meet Thy God. God had in the days of Amos, by different ways, rebuked the sin of his people Israel. He had wasted them with famine and sword, those are disciplines, He had withheld the rain. He had sent forth the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. He had smitten their fields and gardens with blast and mildew and had overthrown some of them as Sodom and Gomorrah. But they still persevered in the rebellion. And therefore, he declares that he will send them no more of his messengers and shoot no more of his far-reaching arrows, excuse me, but will come himself in his own person to deal with them. God's way of dealing with rebellious humanity is at first to upbraid and persuade with words soft, gentle, tender words. These he repeats many times. 
accompanying them with tokens of tenderness and grace. By and by, he exchanges these words of tenderness for words of mingled threatening. He begins to expostulate with them. Why will they drive him to this? Why will they die? Why will they bring ruin upon themselves? Then Spurgeon went on to say in his message, if words are of no effect upon them, he turns to blows, but his strokes fall softly at the first. Yet, if these avail not, his strokes gather strength, till at last he smites them with the blows of a cruel one and wounds them sore. Spurgeon certainly had a good line on the ways of God and how he deals with his people. How he deals with people in general. Softness, tenderness, an invitation to be born again, an invitation to be saved, an invitation to come on the Christian Sabbath, Sunday, and learn the word of God, to sing praises, to be in the spirit of prayer, constant. In Second Chronicles, he talks about the fact that he sent messengers, but they abused the messengers of God, the prophets of God, the people of God, the messengers of God in particular, until there was no more remedy. One of the strongest verses in the Old Testament There was no more remedy. And when God says there's no more remedy, there's no more remedy. There's no more cure. And God spoke of that in and around the same time that Amos came along. And Amos was a contemporary of Isaiah. We know the history past. But if we do not look at the history past, if we do not take heed to what has been done in the past, then we are going to repeat the past with the same consequences. Perilous times have come. We need, all of us here, and all that are watching and listening by way of radio, need to prepare to meet our God. Now, in this series so far, I've brought to you the great apostasy. That's been going on, I told you, for 2,000 years, except it's gaining strength. I won't elaborate any further on that. Go back and listen to the messages. And on the website, there's plenty of them on this subject. Then we talked about the mark of the beast, for which I told you I believe that we are seeing a dress rehearsal. But I admonish you, don't take a dress rehearsal for the real thing. We were in Revelation chapter 13. And the mark of the beast is clear, clearly associated with active worship of an antichrist. He's not here yet. Maybe he's on the earth. Maybe he's alive. Wouldn't take much to set it up at the moment. One major, major disaster could bring us right into that system. But please remember at the moment, we are not there yet. Talked about the days of Noah two weeks ago. Talked about the days of Lot last week. Let me just share with you quickly on the days of Noah. Amongst evangelical or fundamentalist churches, churches that claim the Bible is the word of God and so on. Kenneth Ham writes these words about belief in a flood, a major flood. He writes, over one in four in our evangelical churches do not really believe it, that an actual physical flood took place. That's inside the church, which I just mentioned to you in the reading of the scriptures. More recently, Britt Beamer of America's Research Group found that one in six said their pastor said something to make them believe that the book of Genesis contained myths and legends that we know are untrue. Over 20%, one in five, said their pastors taught that Christians could believe in an earth that is millions or billions of years old. Keep in mind that the idea that the earth is millions of years old comes from rejecting the ideas of a global flood of Noah's day. That's just a little follow-up on what we talked about two weeks ago. As it was in the days of Noah, 
so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And inside the church, pastors who have been educated by liberals or themselves have defected away from literal interpretation of the Bible, particularly in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, are now proposing what is directly related to evolution. And so now Christians are a little unsure. In any case, we have, as we just read, perilous times shall come and men shall be and a form of godliness, and on and on and on. They are ever learning, but can't come to a knowledge of the truth. I don't want to spend much time on Noah's flood. We'll get back to it sooner or later. I just want to say to you that inside the church, in a church where the pastor and the elders and the website says that we are fundamental, we're evangelical, whatever, Pentecostal, whatever it is, and we preach the Bible, they themselves, the pulpiteers, are spawning unbelief in the very people that listen to them. I'm just bringing it to you as evidence that the Bible speaks. And here it is. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, and there was a catechismic flood, uh, as it was in the days of Lot, no cities did burn to the ground, as I gave you archaeological evidence of those who believe they have found the city so that the ground was burned, that they believe a, a temperature that exceeded 21,000 degrees Fahrenheit, hotter than the surface of the sun. And that's what the Bible says. And archaeology is now saying the same thing. But we covered those things in the last couple of weeks. I want to concentrate on the fact that the next event on the calendar is something that we know as the rapture, even though I'm not going to preach at length about that. We'll probably get there again. And why we believe that that is the way we are going right now. That is what's next. Christ coming for his own. Beyond that is the great tribulation. We read it in the book of the Revelation, a seven-year period, that Jesus described that there had never been and never would be again a period of time like it in history. And any of you that are acquainted with history, even the cursory understanding of history, such as in the Second World War in Germany and Hitler, start there and just work your way around. But Jesus said that this period would exceed them all for its horrors. And then after that, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the appearing of Christ, where every eye can see him and every tribe can behold him and everyone is going to cry out, but he's coming to judge the living and the dead. First coming, he came, as I mentioned in Spurgeon's sermon, with soft words and tender words, inviting, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But the second time won't be the same. It will be different. And we are seeing our signs right now in this generation. Wise you would be to take heed. Jesus said to the leaders, religious leaders of his day, he says, you know the signs of the weather. If it's red at night, you know it's going to be a beautiful day tomorrow. If it's red in the morning, the sky is red and lowering. He said, you know it's going to be bad weather. He says, you know the weather, but you don't know the signs of the times and we must be a people that know the signs of the times as we read them in Scripture and then look out into our world and see them coming to pass right before our eyes. We must be those people. And so, with the rapture, quickly, Jesus said in John chapter 14, And if I go, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You know, in passing, let me just say this, especially under the present distress, if you're afraid to die, fear is going to dictate your whole life. I do not place myself in positions where I can get sick. Okay, I don't like being sick. Believe me, I'm the world's number one worst patient. 
I don't like being sick. It's an inconvenience. It interrupts what I want to get done and so on. But I'm not afraid to die. And you shouldn't be either. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Biblical precedent, quickly, for how we reason that rapture is going to happen before the great tribulation, Christ coming for his church, is that there's biblical precedent. And notice in the text that we read last week, and go over your notes or go back over the message, which is online here, Jesus said that the same day that Noah went into the ark, the rain came down. And he says the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, that day God judged those cities. So there's biblical precedent and good reason to believe that the rapture, when it occurs, that that's the day the great tribulation will also begin. This precedent doesn't mean it's proof positive and, and conclusive. It's just evidence. Same day. Tribulation, we know there'll be a world ruler, a world religion, a false prophet. We'll get to those things. Second coming is going to bring with it the great white throne judgment. Every soul that's ever lived, ever going to be born, being born today, and so on, will be before that. If they're not saved by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. That's just an overview. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and go through a little bit of it in an exegetical form. Number one is the word perilous. And here's something that we need to know. The word perilous in the underlining Greek text means to reduce the strength. If we were to go over to Revelation and look at the sixth church named there in the third chapter, Philadelphia, Jesus says to the church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, he says, I know that you have a little strength. They had labored to be faithful to Jesus. They had labored to be faithful to the word of God and to prayer and all the things that we know. And what happens, and often happens, as we follow the Lord, we expect to get stronger and stronger in our way of thinking. We find ourselves getting weaker and weaker in our way of thinking. But the Holy Spirit tells us through the Apostle Paul that God's strength is made perfect in weak vessels. I don't know if I'm stretching the blanket too much to say the weaker you are, the better position you are to be strong in the Lord. But I think that that's the point. The more we realize how little we can affect and do until the point we say, Jesus, we agree with you in John 15 when you said, without you, we can do nothing. Then we become strong because now our prayer life is elevated. We depend on God for everything. Everything. My brother sitting back there with his big smile, gloating, lost his job. And I told my thing is when you lose your job, this is my personal faith. I'm not going to lose my job. There will always be sinners. And saints. Uh, but he lost his job, and I said, Well, now I'm going to pray for a better job that's more convenient, that's better money, and all of this. And he texted me day before yesterday, Hey, after, and God makes you wait, right? He make you wait there, audio man. He made you wait right to the last second before you say, Oh, I'm just ready to stop believing. He said, But I refuse to stop believing. And guess what? A door opens up. A dollar an hour more may seem not like a lot, but when you don't have a job, it's just a lot. And it's a dollar more per hour, and the hours, and everything is better about it. Hallelujah. And we're getting many testimonies of answers to prayer. Because that's what God does. So I say to you again, he's not giving to us the spirit of fear. That's for somebody else. Huh. Don't go skulking around in the dark like some kind of vampire or something. Take your precautions, do what's prudent, I do, but do not give in to the spirit of fear. That's not for you. Perilous times, the idea of reducing the strength, that's what the Bible's saying here. That in these last days, and when they arrive, and they have arrived, 
Who here is not being stressed? Who here is not facing things they never believed they would face before? And you feel your strength is draining. And you feel yourself into one degree or another dragging yourself through a day. But in weakness, God's strength is made perfect. You find out that, hey, and if you do the math, this is how I do it in my life. I realize I not only made it through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this week, but the week before, the week before, the week before, the month before, the year before, the year before. Because even though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. We've been given the spirit of God. Perilous times. And obviously it means full of grave risk or danger. Let me give you a paraphrase of 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 2, as it pertains to the church. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Now, someone would stop and say, wait a minute, children have always been disobedient. It's true, but not to the degree that we have it now. But children get lawyers to sue their parents for a divorce and all types of other strange and unusual behavior. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. That's a paraphrase of 2 Timothy 3, beginning at verse 2. This is what we're finding today. And we're finding it inside the church as well as outside the church. Outside the church, okay, we expect it, but not inside the church. But if you don't know the Bible, you wouldn't know that this is what God says is going to happen. And it is happening. And it's been around for a long time, but it's growing. Like any bacteria or virus or cancer, it's growing. Why? Because the coming of Christ is just that much nearer. So you don't want to have your name over here. You want everything that's the opposite of that. Arrogance and pride. You want humility and meekness. Unholiness, ungodliness, you want holiness and godliness, and so on, and so forth. In verse 10 through 17, 2 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul mentions something here that we need to take note of. He says, you have known my doctrine and the way I live, my manner of life. Well, doctrine is important. We study this in Bible studies in the past. Doctrine simply is teaching. That's it. Teaching from the Bible. Teaching what the Bible says. And doctrine is important because ideas have consequences. Whatever you believe is what will dictate your behavior, right? Doctrine, and you've known my doctrine and my manner of life. What the Apostle Paul believed dictated how he behaved. And eventually he was martyred, as were most of the apostles. Chances are we won't be. But one thing that will happen is everyone that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer some form of persecution. There's many I know that are watching today from all over the world now that are going through real physical persecution, unlike us here in America. And ideas have consequences. There's a book by that title written in 1948 by a conservative, and it has now become a slogan in many circles, particularly conservative circles. Just to give you the gist of the book, it's talking about all of the things that have come up in the past that have now affected us here in the Western world, not just America, England, Spain, France, and so on. All of these ideas have consequences. For instance, if we believe when God says, do this and you're going to die, and we negate that in our minds and say, well, you know. And the pastor who's very educated, and I don't mean me, 
The pastor that's very educated told me there was no real flood because that implies a judgment and it's all about this and that. That idea has a consequence. So I advise you to take your information from the Bible and take it directly from the Bible. And the more you know the Bible, the better you help me to preach. Because it means the less I have to explain. And so doctrine becomes important. And where do we get doctrine from? We get it from the Bible. We get it right here from the book. Persecution. Here's an interesting statistic. What's happening right now in the world. And I want to read it to you about persecution. Persecution of COVID-19. The title of this article read, Christian persecution increased globally after COVID-19. Quote, in many countries, Christians are denied food and pandemic-related health care assistance and support systems. An international Christian charity has claimed that discrimination against Christians increased around the world after the coronavirus pandemic. For authoritarian governments, which already limit religious freedom, the pandemic has become a pretext to step up persecutions against the Christians. Release International said. In many developing countries, Christians are denied food and pandemic-related health care assistance and support systems, said Paul Robinson, chief executive officer of the Christian charity. In China, churches are demolished and Christians are arrested for holding online prayers. This is one example of the type of things that we read in Scripture, and yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Thank God that at the moment in America, we still retain some of the freedoms we were granted from the founding of the country. But as you know, they are rapidly diminishing. If in courts of law, they could take away the Ten Commandments or proposals have been, and they've been around for a long time, to take in God we trust off of our money and so on and so forth. We must make sure we don't just have a form of godliness, but that we have the power, that our prayers get answers. Like Elijah in the fifth chapter of James, who could pray that it wouldn't rain for three years, didn't rain for three and a half years, and then prayed that it would rain, and here comes the rain. This is what God wants to do, not just in the life of the people we read in the Bible, but they are our examples. That as we pray, and again, I remind you, if there was ever a time that people need the mercy of God, this is now the time. Because the scriptures will be fulfilled. They have to be. God said they're going to come. We're looking for that interlude. We're looking for that break in the middle. We're looking for that period as the sun just began to shine right now. We're looking for that period of refreshment before ultimately these prophecies are fulfilled, literally, as they have been in the past, and making sure that we have opportunity to preach the gospel. In 2 Timothy 3, it talks about evil men and seducers. And the word seduce here in the Greek text is interesting because it means to wail and to howl. In history past, those possessed by evil spirits with an incantation or channeling, we're used to that word, channeling another spirit would literally wail and howl. Now, I'm not going to go down this road too, too far, but I want to tell you this. Having been inside the Pentecostal church for over 40 years, spirits invaded the church that neither the pastor or the elders evidently discerned to address it and to address it publicly. And all of a sudden, we have the exact same thing that has been practiced in witchcraft for centuries. People interrupting a service during the preaching of the word. I've had people, not here, thankfully, but run down, knocking people down. The Spirit got a hold of me. I told one woman, who was not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is order. He's not the author of confusion. And yet we have these things that have crept into the church. Why? Because it is the last days. 
And so in a website called Witches of the Craft, they write that we should recollect that the great ones of this world are not the main authority in the universe. I would agree with that. There are more high-ranking ones. I wouldn't agree with that. The nature powers and the old gods able to grant us what we want or take away what we already have. Does that gospel sound familiar? I'm reading from a website of Witches of the Craft where we're taught from pulpits that you name it, you claim it, you got it. The law of attraction, all of these things that you are hearing or men and women who profess Christ are hearing comes not from the Bible but from the occult. And here's witches, I mean these are practicing witches who are saying that a direct verbal contact with these forces is the oldest kind of magic and it's invaded the church. One more way that we know these are the last days. But we also know that God wrote the Bible over a period of about 1,500 years and 40 men that he selected in various times and various ways. He said, put these words down. God, well, you could say men wrote it. I have a little thing that I put up, uh, wrote for myself some time ago. The word of God and the pen of man was man's pen, God's word on these select individuals, about 40 of them, and gave his word, gave prophecy that we know is accurate from history past and how it's been fulfilled in history past. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Right, this is coming, obviously, from Peter, who spent three years with the Lord and then saw him afterwards as well. Second Peter 1.17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Verse 18, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So here's a testimony. Peter, James, and John are with Jesus on the mount of transfiguration when Jesus is transfigured. Glowing so brightly, the Bible describes it, that no fuller, nobody could clean his garments that bright. The effulgent glory of the eternal God and the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the Father is speaking to the Son. Elijah and Moses are there. Peter doesn't know what to say. He says, let's make a tabernacle. It's kind of like an overnight hotel. And with it, he didn't know what to say. They fell down on their faces. They were the same as John was in the Revelation, fell down at the presence of Jesus, fell down at the presence of the angels. And here he says, listen, he says, but even though we have this testimony, what we saw, listen, what we saw with our eyes, we have something even more powerful. In 2 Peter chapter 1 again, verse 19, we also have a more sure word of prophecy Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Could mean two things. You can't take one verse and build a whole doctrine out of it. The analogy of faith tells us to compare scripture with scripture. Number two, this is not just a personal word that some Jewish man put down on paper. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Listen, Peter says, we had this experience. We saw the transfiguration of the revelation Christ, of God come in the flesh. We saw it. We heard the voice. But there's something even more powerful, and that's the scriptures. That's what this is saying. 
the scriptures of old. He says, we have something even more powerful than our personal testimony. One of the things that is a mistake in our time is the heavy emphasis on personal experience. Because you have an experience doesn't make it valid. We look at the scriptures, which we know to be valid, and we study them. And now we know the truth. Then we compare experience with the scriptures. And if they don't match up, don't question the scriptures. Question your experience and say, okay, Lord, what's wrong here? For me, when I have any experience at all, anything, a dream, anything, and it doesn't match up, I just dismiss it. I don't spend hours thinking about it. Just dismiss it and go back to the scriptures. And what that will do, that will keep you on this path straight now. This is our roadmap. We are being guided by God through his word to stay on the path, what to avoid, what to do, what not to do. And that's what we need to do. In chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, if your Bibles are still open, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, who is a pastor, in verse 1, charge means command, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, living and dead, at his appearing and his kingdom. That's the revelation of Christ I spoke about earlier. Preach the word. Be instant. That means be ready. In season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And then we get the word doctrine. Some of you are old enough to remember on Christian television when the owner of the television station in a rant on camera said, all doctrine is doo-doo. Those were his words. And it's a shame that so-called Christian TV has done more to bring forth some of the sewage of doctrinal apostasy than probably any other vessel on earth. God help us to raise up again in front of cameras. And maybe that's why God gave us the technology so that the average pastor can get out in front of a camera. The average pastor has got nothing to gain, nothing to lose except souls. But there's no money involved in all of this stuff that we see today. And here we have the exhortation to preachers to preach. When you go by my door, some say they don't know where my office is. There's only two doors in this room. That's the bathroom. I don't study in there. That one there says pastor's study. It does not say pastor's office. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a sociologist. I do counsel, but I'm a preacher. What I do and what I'm called by God to do is to study, pray, and preach, and teach. And you are to fill up the rest of the body of Christ with your gifts and talents for which God will reckon with you for an account to do all the rest. I told you this. Oh, bring the backsliders in, and they're coming. And who do you think is going to clean them up? Naturally, Pastor Ray. Because after all, what does he do all day long anyway? Study. Study. I study so hard even to this day that sometimes my eyes start to get blurry. I can't see. I got floaters in one eye besides. It's laborious, but it's what I'm called to do. And all pastors and preachers are called to do. Preach the word. This is the method that God selects to do the majority of counseling. If you would take God's word to heart while you're listening to the preacher, in this case your pastor, making sure that you understand and know the guy that you're listening to on the television, know something about him or her, and take it to heart, you're going to have 95% of your questions that you have answered. How many times after a message have I had people approach me or write me later and say, boy, I was just going to call you this week and ask you that question, and you answered it. While I was preaching. Why? Not only do I study, but I pray. Before I left that office, again, I told God, put in my mouth. Forget the notes. This is a skeleton I use. That's it. For long quotes that I didn't commit to memory. And, of course, scripture verses. But I said, God, you and you alone can put into my mouth what you need me to say and want me to say. Because I don't know. I don't know. 
And so with prayer and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the word being preached, we fulfill, I fulfill, my duty, preach the word, exhort, reprove, rebuke with all long-suffering and doctrine, because ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. So we preach the word. The word preach has an interesting history. Caruso. And let me give it to you from the Greek. To proclaim after the manner of a herald. We all know it probably when we see it somehow in a movie or whatever, a novel maybe. Hear ye, hear ye. The old heralds, right? Before the advent of technology. Hear ye, hear ye. And, you know, Paul Revere and all of that. The British are coming. He was a herald. He's riding up and down. He wasn't the only herald, but he's the one that we know most, most frequently quoted. And that's what he was doing. What am I heralding today? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He's coming. The creator of the planet is coming. The creator is giving us the signs that he said, look for these signs. They will appear first and then I will appear. And again, if I go away, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. (laughs) Thank God, right? There will I be also. Again, I exhort you, do not accept the spirit of fear. And listen, influence, I told you, is more important than authority. And if you're spending, and this would be very hard to do, if you're spending two, three hours in front of a television set, listen to all these negative reports, I would say spend six or seven hours in your Bible. Well, you say, well, that ain't going to happen. Okay, but who's influencing your thinking? Who's influencing your mind? Who's making you afraid? It's not God. God doesn't make us afraid. Your mind is being influenced. And you want your mind to be influenced by the word of God. The word preach means to herald or proclaim as a herald. But listen, it also suggests formality, gravity, as in seriousness, and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. In the book of Ezekiel, God told Ezekiel, he says, you're like a, I'll paraphrase it. He says, you're like a great singer that people come and like to listen to your songs, but they don't do what you say to do which in essence is they weren't doing what God said to do. If they had, they wouldn't have been in Babylon. Remember, Ezekiel's in Babylon. They wouldn't have been in Babylon. They wouldn't have been in trouble had they listened. Had they listened. You've had experiences, especially those of us who are older, where you warn and warn and warn. Don't do this. Some of us learn by bad experience ourselves. Saying, don't do this. It doesn't work out well. Human nature, in its rebellion against God, we go ahead and it doesn't work out well. Learn to obey God. The preaching of the word is meant to have a measure of formality, a measure of gravity, and the idea being that it's not only being listened to, but you're going to go out and do it. Remember I said to you just Wednesday night, in James it says, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter how great the doctrine is, good the doctrine is, straight the doctrine is, orthodox the doctrine is. If you don't do it, it doesn't benefit you. If you have a medicine cabinet filled with all kinds of cures, but you don't take it, it doesn't cure you. So we don't want to just hear the Bible or the words of Jesus, the apostles, the prophets. We want to do it. Stop. Look. Listen. That's the watchword of the hour. Cease. Sabbath. Cease. That's literally what the Hebrew word means. Cease. One unintended side effect And I think there's many of our COVID-19 crisis that I see as positive things. Is the fact that now 
when I come to the stop sign on a Sunday morning, I don't have to wait very long at all for the traffic because everybody's locked away somewhere. And I'm not saying it will turn us back to the Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath Sunday, but it's an unintended consequence of this situation. And it gives, well, at least it gives me time to stop. I lead a very, very busy life. And to stop, not studying, not praying, but it gives me time to stop that so I can get back to this, which I never give up anyway, is what we need to do. We need to stop so that we can look, listen. Again, those words are interchangeable. And we can listen and we can read and we can understand so that we are not like the unwise walking around saying, what's going on? What's next? The title of this message, the title of this series, the Bible tells us what's next. As the Bible has told us what would happen before and it happened exactly the way God said it would happen. Now God is telling us, and this is what's next. And we can be prepared so that when or as we live, we can be found in peace. Let me say this to you again. If you want to know how tall you are in the Lord, if you want to know how tall you are when you're growing up, we used to do it with the kids, right? You make a little pencil mark. Maybe you put a date over there. And then you see, let's measure you again, I'd say to one of my kids. So look at that, you grew an inch, half inch. That's how we measure. That's how we know we're growing. If you want to know if you're growing in the Lord, try this. Here's the measuring stick. Love, joy, peace. Is that in your life right now? Be honest with you. You don't have to shake your head today. Because only you would know. Peace, I leave you. Peace, I give you. Not as the world gives it, give I unto you. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So now let's take a moment to measure you, like I used to do with my children. Are you growing in love? Are you finding yourself more joyful? And I don't mean that supercilious, dumb manifestation of rolling on the floor laughing. I mean, there's a sense of a buoyancy in you. As I mentioned before, this is how I do it. I suggest you do it too. I say, well, yesterday wasn't all that great, but I made it through. The day before, six months, six years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but I'm still here. And you know what? By the grace of God, should he delay 10 more years, I'll still be here. I'll still be here. My shield be pitted and dented, and my sword will have a few notches in it from the constant warfare, and maybe my helmet will be a little crooked. And the breastplate of righteousness will still be there. And I will still have the full armor of God if I put it on, which I intend to. And I will never wear out. Why? Because inside I'm being renewed and you're being renewed day by day. This is a promise. And it's only effective if you believe it. And then when you believe it and it comes to pass, you can look back and say, wow, I'm not being moved. And the greatest fear of man has always been the fear of death, the fear of the unknown. And God says he came in Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. He came to deliver us from that fear. If you are born again and you are truly saved inside you. There is a witness being given by God himself. The third person of the Trinity saying be not afraid. Don't be afraid. I told you these things would happen. There would be earthquakes and famines and pestilences and all these things. Which are certainly not good. But they are indications to us. That Christ is closer and closer. I'm going to say something else personal. 
I don't know that in my entire walk with the Lord, except it was 44 years ago, I have felt such a closeness to Christ and such a peace as I've felt lately with all the news and all the argumentation and all that's going on. And the correspondence that I get, honestly, it's so much, but it doesn't move me away from what this text says. Be not afraid. How tall are you in the Lord? How mature are you? And even further, this is an indication whether you actually know Christ or not. Growing in love, growing in joy, peace. You're becoming long-suffering. Wouldn't you agree that there's some people here that are hard to handle? And if you don't agree, I'll tell you there are. Some of you are hard. You say, well, same to you, Pastor. Okay, well, there you go. So it's even. I'm hard to deal with. You're hard to deal with. And there we go, because we're sinners saved by grace. So that's why we have to be growing in long-suffering. We suffer. If you don't believe so, get married. You're going to suffer. I had a friend of mine who was a Christian. You know, we brought him up in the Lord. He met a young woman who was very dedicated to the Lord. And he asked her about, you know, them starting to go out. He used to take a trip to another state just to meet her. He's a preacher today, pastor, good friend of mine. And he said to her, he said, you know, let's start. You know, maybe there's something there going out and all that. She says, I don't think so. She said, because I'm called to suffer for the Lord. And this was his actual response. He says, it's perfect. You come with me and marry me, you'll suffer plenty. <laughs> that was a true story. Yeah, if you want to know about long-suffering, get married, you'll understand. Long-suffering gentleness. Do you find yourself becoming more gentle? And then there's goodness. And then there's meekness. And then there's self-control or temperance. Control yourself. Ah, you know, I can't control myself. That means you don't have a fruit of the Spirit. By the way, it's fruit singular, not fruit plural. Because the Holy Spirit is singular. It's not Holy Spirits. It's the Holy Spirit who gives this fruit. Love, joy, peace. And it's all one. Like a diamond. I got little tiny diamonds on this ring here. But if I could take one out, you see there's facets on them. How many diamonds? One. How many different facets? Well, we'll say nine. Like the fruit of the Spirit. Prepare to meet thy God. Are you actually ready? If it was today... If you were to meet God today, are you confident that you can meet him with no reproof, no rebuke, that he would say unto you, as I so often bring to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant, well done. We're not perfect, right? We do make a lot of mistakes and sins and fall, but that's not what I'm talking about. And it wasn't what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about the fact that we can stand before him saying, I've done everything possible to serve you, to be who I'm supposed to be in this life, in this generation. Prepare to meet thy God, which for us should be joy unspeakable and full of glory. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. For us, death is a welcome friend. But not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Because we are soldiers. We're in combat. And we're in a war, and we are expected by our masters to stay in this war until he says, you're relieved, you're properly relieved, come home. Until then, we must be at our stations, at our posts, doing our duty in all parts of our life. We see the signs. We see them all over the place. Today, as we go to prayer and we finish, let's think on these things, things that you've heard, the notes that you've taken. And one that sticks out in my own mind in my study more than anything else is that ideas have consequences. 
So what you are entertaining in your mind, make sure it lines up with this book. And if it doesn't, discard it. Just get rid of it. You know, thoughts can come into your mind and you can just go like that and take it out. Feelings, a little different. But once you take the thought out, the feeling just subsides and goes away, the sensory response. Let's bow our hearts and bow our heads before God. Perilous times have come. Prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet the God that created you. It doesn't matter if someone's an atheist, because when that time comes, they will no longer be an atheist. They will meet their creator. They will meet their God. Father, we just ask you today to help us. Difficult days, days that have reduced our strength. But the wise are finding that in the reduction of our own strength, we are gaining in strength that comes from you. From the closet of prayer, from the word of God, from the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, we bless you and we praise you and we thank you. For you are great and greatly to be praised. Oh Father, we are preparing to meet you as you come for your own in the rapture. As you come to judge the living and the dead. We are preparing to meet our God, our creator. Help us God to be found in a place, in a position that you approve of. That you can say, well done, well done. You followed my instructions. You followed my orders. Well done. Let no one be found in a place where they should not be. Let no one be found in a place where you would say, I never knew you. Oh, but Lord, I know you. He said, no, I never knew you. Give us, God, the greatest witness of all is the witness of the Holy Spirit. That third person of the Trinity that would bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Oh, that is the greatest blessing. It's something man cannot give. Thankfully, it's something man cannot take away. Help us, God, to make the preparations like we're making for Christmas. Or like we make for birthdays and holidays or for other things. And to prepare to meet you and be found in a place, once again, where we could hear you say, well done. Well done. As we stand today, let me just ask you this question. If you're going to seek approval from anybody, starting with father, mother, husband, wife, even your children, whoever, friends, neighbors, other Christians... If you're going to seek approval from anybody, who would want it more than Jesus approves? Amen. God himself approves of our behavior, of our thoughts, and so on. That's what we need to strive for. If you live to please men, you're going to be in a trap. Because the fear of man brings a snare. What are my neighbors going to say? Forget about your neighbors. Just serve the Lord. And be found in a position where he's happy. The rest can make up their own minds whether they're happy or not. So we thank you, God, for another Lord's Day and a time here in service of prayer, of worship, of hearing your word. And once again, God, help us as the sea goes in, let it fall on good ground, that we can produce the fruit of your spirit, be conformed to your image, and be conformed to your likeness. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. And we give you all the honor today, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.